Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. We're going to be uh, we're going to be diving into the, the book of Job uh, this morning. It's uh, and since it is though forty two chapters long, uh, it's a lot to get through. So um, we're we're going to be serving lunch here. We're going to spend the next three hours here. Um, but no, it really in, instead of doing that, instead of reading much from the book of Job, uh, we thought it might be best to uh, to just show a quick short video that's going to provide a high level overview of the book of Job and just some of the key points there. And then we're going to come back to some of those key points about uh, about Job and how he uh, lived lived through this. So let's go ahead and play that uh, that this short uh, six minute video, and I'll come back come right back after that. There are three books in the Bible known as the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. The first, Proverbs, showed us that God is wise and just. Yeah, we learned that God has ordered the world so that it's fair. The righteous are rewarded, the wicked are punished. In other words, you get what you deserve. But then we meet Ecclesiastes who observes, "Ah, people don't always get what they deserve. Uh, Yeah, he said the world isn't always fair, that life is unpredictable and hard to comprehend, just like smoke. And this makes you wonder, okay, well, is God wise and just? Exactly. And so it's that question that is being explored in the final book of wisdom, Job. All right, let's dive in. So Job begins with a strange story that takes place up in the heavens, which are described something like a heavenly command center. So God is there with these angelic creatures called the sons of God, and they're all there reporting for duty. And God points out this guy Job, his servant, showing how righteous and good he is. And then one of these angelic creatures approaches. He's referred to in Hebrew as the Satan. The Satan. Who is this? Well, this word is actually a title, which literally means the one who is opposed. So out of this whole crew, he is the one questioning how God is running the world. And he proposes that Job might not actually love God, that he's only a good person because God rewards him. If God were to take away all of the good things he gave to Job, then we would see his true colors. So he thinks Job is just working the system? That's exactly right. Maybe he's obeying just to get what he wants. So God agrees to this experiment and allows the Satan to inflict suffering on Job. And Job loses everyone and everything that he cares about. It is devastating. And remember, he deserves none of this. God himself said so. The remarkable thing is that in the midst of all this suffering, Job still praises God. At least for chapters 1 and 2. But then in chapter 3, we find out how he's really feeling inside. He unleashes this poem that reveals this devastation. It's a long, elaborate curse on the day that he was born. After this, some of Job's friends come to visit him to offer their help. And all of them are like, Job, you must have done something horribly wrong to deserve this. After all, we know God is just, and we know the world is ordered by God's justice and fairness, so you must be getting what you deserve. And for the next 34 chapters, the friends and Job go back and forth in very dense Hebrew poetry. His friends keep speculating about why God might have sent such suffering, and they even start making up lists of hypothetical sins that Job must have committed. 
But after each accusation, Job defends his innocence. And Job is innocent. He is. He's also on an emotional roller coaster. At some moments, he's very confident that God is still wise and just. Yeah, in other moments, he's doubting God's goodness. He even comes to accuse God of being reckless, unfair, and corrupt. So by the end of the dialogue, Job demands that God come and explain himself in person. And God does so. He comes in the form of a great storm cloud. Now, God doesn't give Job a direct answer. He doesn't tell Job about the conversation with the Satan. Yeah, he does something very different. He takes Job on a virtual tour of the universe. He shows Job how grand the world is. And he asks him if he's even capable of running it or understanding it just for a day. He shows Job how much detail there is in the world. Things that we might see every day, but really don't understand at all. But God does. He knows it all intimately. He pays attention to the beauty and operations of the universe in ways that we haven't even imagined and in places that we will never see. Then to conclude, God shows Job two wondrous beasts. And brags about how great they are. Yeah, they are dangerous. I mean, they would kill you without even thinking about it. And God says they're not evil. They're actually a part of his good world. And then that's it. That's God's whole defense. It's kind of weird. I mean, what was this all about? It seems to be this. From Job's point of view, it looks like God is not just. But God's perspective is infinitely bigger. He's dynamically interacting with a whole universe of complexity when he makes decisions. And this is what God calls his wisdom. So Job asking God to defend himself is actually kind of absurd. He couldn't comprehend this kind of complexity even if he wanted to. So... Where does this leave us? Well, it leaves Job in a place of humility. He never learned why he suffered. And yet, he's able to live in peace and in the fear of the Lord. But that's not where the book ends. Because after this, God restores to Job double everything he had lost. And this, again, is surprising. I mean, is this a reward? Is God saying, congratulations, Job, you passed this elaborate test? No. I mean, the whole book just made the point that Job losing everything was not a punishment. And so now getting it back isn't a reward. So why does he get it back? Well, apparently God, in his wisdom, decided to give Job a gift. We don't know why. But what we do know is that Job is now the kind of person who, no matter what comes, good or bad, he can trust God's wisdom. And that's the book of Job and the end of our wisdom series. These biblical books of wisdom are amazing. Each one offers a unique perspective on the good life. And you need to hear all of them together as you learn to live with wisdom and in the fear of the Lord. So tough, tough subject, the book of Job. So um, it, it's it's even tougher to try to tackle in, in, in one message. And so we're not, we're not going to tackle everything. But what we are going to do this morning is we're just going to focus in on um, on, on just Job and how he reacts, how he responds to this, this surprise, this tragedy, these difficulties and these hardships that suddenly came upon him. And so the, really where I wanted to start is this verse from Isaiah. They mentioned it in the, in the video. And, and in some ways, I think that, you know, it, it's also kind of been a theme here this morning 
um, in just the, the, the songs that, that we've been singing this morning about God bringing us through um, difficulties and darkness and trials um, and, and the testimonies too. So Isaiah 55, 8, uh, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah here is saying that, you know what, we, God, it, it, his mind is, is so far beyond ours. His ways and, and the way that he approaches things is so far beyond what our mind can even think that it's, it's galaxies apart. They're galaxies away. And so when we try to understand things like the book of Job, things that happen to Job, we have to come to it with that perspective that there's things that we may never get answers to, just as Job never really got an answer to um, why all these things happened to him. So in Job chapter 1, um, one of the things I want to just just point out here right away is uh, if, if you remember when we, went, when we went through about two or three years ago, if you were here at the time, we went through this book called The Story. And it, it's, it's the Bible in story form, and it walks us through from Genesis through Revelation, the Bible, but it tells it in story form. And one of the themes that Johnny was always pointing out to us as we went through that was that there's this lower story that the Bible tells, but it's always pointing to this bigger picture, this upper story that God is telling throughout Scripture as well. And so one of the unique things uh, about the book of Job is that right away, we're introduced to, to, to the, this man, Job, but we're also, we, we shift right back to heaven. So we see what's happening here on earth, which it's described, you know, Job is described as this rich man and he's blessed and, um, and, and he's, he's following God. He's faithful to God. But we also then, we, we shift right away after five verses into heaven, into this upper story. And we as the reader are treated to what's going on here in the upper story while we see this lower story as well. Now, Job doesn't see this, but as the reader, we do. And that, that it's, it's a very unique um, book of the Bible because it tells kind of this lower story and this upper story at the same time. Because a lot of, a lot of scripture, there's, there, there is this upper story and lower story theme, but the, we don't understand the upper story until later. But that as the readers throughout the book of Job, we're, we're kind of treated to this while it's happening at the same time. So, um, so we get this rare view um, of what's happening here. So what do we see about Job? We see that he's a rich man. He's blessed. He fears God. He prays for his family faithfully. He's out there praying for his family. Um, he's blameless and upright. The Lord says so himself. But then suddenly he loses everything. He loses everything. And that's where we pick up here. In Job chapter 1, verse 20. So his servants, four servants had just come up within the space of just seconds. They're, they're literally talking over each other as they arrive to tell Job that he's just lost everything. Everything is gone. Everything that he's worked for. He's one of the richest men in this part of the, in this part of the world. He's lost everything. And not only that, the last servant comes in and says, and all of your children have just been killed. The house just collapsed on him when a storm came through. We had thieves come through and, and, and they stole this stuff and thieves over here, this warrior band, they came through and they took your other stuff and your children are gone in the space of seconds. 
So what does Job do? Job chapter 1, verse 20. He just received this news. Then, then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and complained and got angry and blamed. No, that's, that's what we do, right? That's what we do. That's what I do. But what did Job do? Job fell down on the ground and he worshiped. Does this seem like an appropriate time to worship God? See, we, we think of worship as, you know, in, in times of blessing, it's easy to worship God, right? And, and it's very appropriate in, in times of blessing and fulfillment in our relationship with the Lord when we're feeling really close, things are right with the world. Certainly appropriate to worship then. But what Job is showing us here is he's worshiping because worship is appropriate in all circumstances of life, in all of our circumstances. So no matter where you are, if you're in the midst of difficulty, if you're coming out of difficulty, if you're just going into, into a difficult situation, or if you're in the midst of blessing, worship is appropriate. And that's what Job's showing us here. He's, Job's also worshiping because he knows that God is still God. And Job has this upper view story even though remarkably, he doesn't know what's going on. But, but he has this upper story view and perspective that's remarkable as, as we go through the book of Job. And so he's focusing himself on God. He's, he's pointing himself back to the Lord in the midst of all of this lower story chaos that's taking place. That's what worship does. Next verse, Job one twenty one, he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's reminding himself that who he is and what, what he is, of the person that he is, isn't wrapped up in all the stuff that he has. He didn't come in, he didn't come into this world with any none of us came into this world with, with even the clothes on our backs. It's th- this life is not about stuff. And that's what Job is reminding himself. Is that, look, I came in with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. My life is not wrapped up in my stuff, in the stuff that I have. I'm going to go away with nothing too. It says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And we just sang that song. It's amazing how, the, how even the songs have, have led into this, this, this message. There, there really is a theme here this morning. I think that the Lord wants us to know. So let, let's look at this. So, so the, the servants have just told Job that, you know, these guys came in and stole your stuff. And these guys came in and took your stuff. And that darn weatherman, if he would have got the weather, uh, the, the weather forecast right, then we wouldn't have had the party at this house where all your kids were. We would have moved it over here if we knew the storm was going to come in. But Job says, the Lord took away. No, the servants are sitting there listening to it. Job, did you hear anything that we said? The Lord didn't take away. We told you these guys stole your stuff. We know who did it. They stole your stuff. These guys over here too, they took your other stuff. That's not Job's perspective though, right? That's not his perspective. Job was again looking at the upper story, the eternal, the spiritual, what really lasts. And and I have to say, I find this myself incredibly challenging too because when things don't go wrong, I tend to look for someone to blame. 
Who's at fault? How did this happen? How did we get here? How did I get here in this situation? How, how did I mess up? And it's, it's easy to get caught into this lower story um, circle and cycle of, of blame, self-pity, uh, anger, bitterness, resentment, and things, all these things that can happen when, when, when things that, that we can't explain and suddenly come upon us, surprise us, and catch us off guard. So that's pretty much where chapter one ends. Um, so chapter two begins, though, uh, uh, where we find ourselves again in heaven. The story picks up in chapter two in heaven. And it's striking that the contrast here as we pick it up in, in chapter two, um, we're, we're not going to read it. We don't really have time to get into it, but it, it picks up almost where, where, where the upper story was in, in, verse, in, in chapter one, where, again, Satan and, and all of the angels are in heaven. They're, they're presenting themselves before the Lord. And it's almost word for word what happens in chapter 1 is happening here in chapter 2, only the Lord kind of throws a few jabs at Satan and saying, hey, by the way, have you noticed my servant Job, how he didn't do what you said he was going to do after you, you messed with him and, and you messed up his life? So it's almost word for word. So there's such a striking contrast between all of this lower story chaos that's happening to Job and all of these terrible things that have happened to him and these tragedies that have happened to him and the loss and, and just the grief that's taken place here in the lower story. But in the upper story, what we see is that God's plan just marches on. God's still in control. Nothing in heaven has changed. Nothing's changed. And it's so striking, that contrast. And it's, it's a reminder to us that even in the midst of our chaos and everything that's happening down here in our lower story, there's still an upper story. God is in control. God is managing all of it. None of these things surprise God, and, and his plan is still moving forward. And so we pick it up then in, uh, in, in verse 7, uh, where, where Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord. He afflicts Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery, scraped himself with it, and he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all of this, Job did not sin in what he said. So even Job's wife, she's come to the end of it. You remember, she's lost everything too. She's, she's lost everything that her and Job have worked for their entire life. She's, they've, she's had to bury her children too, all 10 of them. She's buried them all too. And so seeing her husband now, uh, where he's almost recognizable, we see later when his friends show up, they, don't, they, don't, they hardly recognize him because these boils have just so disfigured him as well. So he's not even recognizable. So this, this man that, that, that she loves She's seeing him suffer, and it, it just breaks her. She can't take it. And she says, you know what, just, just why don't you curse God, end the suffering, and die. But Job, Job has a different perspective because Job's relationship with God wasn't superficial. Because Job essentially says here, look, if God's willing to be with me in the good and the bad, shouldn't I be willing to do the same with him and stick with him in the good and the bad? And his words here... Um, you know, the, the, 
accepting good from God and not trouble, it, it reminds me in, in a way and in a sense of traditional marriage vows. For those of you who are married and, and didn't do your own vows, if you said some of the traditional marriage vows, there's a part in there that says, for better or for worse, richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. There's a commitment that's being made there. There's a covenant commitment that's being made between a husband and a wife when they enter into a marriage. It's a commitment to, to stay no matter what, to stay true and faithful and married, no, no matter what, for better or for worse. Job was certainly worse off, for richer or for poorer. Job was certainly a lot poorer in sickness and in health. Job certainly had some health problems going on too. But still, he, he said, look, my commitment to God overrides the circumstances, is more important than the circumstances that I find myself in. And I think for us, you know, I, I think our question is, as we're described in, in, in Scripture as the bride of Christ, with Jesus Christ as our bridegroom, he's, he's made a commitment to us that he's going to stand by us no matter what. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Full of promises, right? He's, he's made so many promises to us that he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. What about us? Can we say the same thing? Thick or thin, good or bad, richer or for poor, better or for worse. Are we going to stay in the relationship? Or are we going to bolt the first signs of trouble? Very challenging, right? I, I can admit for, for, for myself, I, I find it easy when things are good, when, when everything is right in the world. I find it difficult when, when, when difficulties come, challenges come, when, when, I, when there's resistance on, on that road that you think, you know what, I'm on the right path. Why is there so much resistance? Why are things so difficult? And it's easy to question God. It's easy to say, God, why are you doing this? Are we really committed despite our circumstances? And the last thing here that, that Job was, was doing in these verses was he was pointing his wife back to the upper story that, look, all of this came from God. God's still in control. So then from chapter two, chapter three, uh, we, we move into there and um, really chapters three through chapters 37, you find that God is silent. God is, God is really quiet. He doesn't have, he doesn't have anything to say. So for much of the book of Job, there's 34, 35 chapters here. God says nothing. God says nothing. And, and for us, when, when, when we're in the midst of difficulty and hardship in our lower stories, when we don't know what's really going on up, up there in, in the upper story, the, the silence can be really hard. It can be really hard. And this is some of the most difficult time for Job. This is where Job goes on that emotional roller coaster where he's up, he's down, because he's used to this relationship with God. He's made a commitment to God. His relationship with his God is real. He's made that commitment. Now to find God silent is very difficult. And it's difficult for us too when it just seems like, God, are you hearing me? Are you hearing any of this? Have you heard? Do you know what's going on here? Are you paying attention to any of this? This is chaos down here in my life. This is, this is not right. This is not the way 
I think things should be going in the way that I've planned them out to be. And when he's silent, it's hard. So we also see Job's friend try, uh, try to come in and make sense of Job's situation. Um, Job, uh, they, they don't do a very good job. Job calls them miserable comforters at one point uh, because they're accusing Job just all kinds of crazy things, right? They're throwing everything they can at Job because what Job's friends are doing is they're, they're saying, Job, you know, your situation fits in this box. And you know what? It's got to be something that fits in this box that would explain what's happening to you. It's one of these sins. It's one of these things. And Job says, no. So another friend says, okay, well, it's this box then. And it's these secret sins that, you, that you're doing. And it's got to fit inside of this box. And Job says, no, that's not it either. And so there's this back and forth for, for 34 or 35 chapters here. Much of the book of Job, they're, just, they're stuck in this lower story. They get stuck going in circles, trying to explain things, trying to understand things, but only with the lower story perspective. And that's where they really miss out. That's where they really miss out because they arrive at all the wrong conclusions because they're, they're just, they're looking at it from the wrong perspective. They're, then Job's friends are just flat out wrong. They're just flat out wrong. But again, if we look at this from Job's perspective, how he responds to this, Job actually listened to his friends in the midst of all of his hardship, in the midst of all these difficulties and loss. He listened to everything that they said. We know that because he responds to them. He responds to them. He tells them that they're wrong, but, but he's listening. And I think there's, there's something to this that even in the midst of our difficulties, when we want to maybe keep people at arm's length and push them away because it, it just hurts Sometimes they'll let people in. We don't know what they're going to say. You know, they might not say the right thing. They might not do the right thing. You know what? They probably won't. But Job still let his friends come around, try to comfort him as miserably as they failed. But he still let them do that. And I think there's a lesson in that for us, too. In the midst of our hardship, we, we don't have to go through that alone. And our friends may not get it right. They may not always say the right things. They may not always do the right things. A lot of that is probably because we, we might not know what to say for what you're going through and what you're experiencing. But the fact that his friends came there, Job honored that. He listened to them. And we need to, to do that too. We, we need to, even in the midst of our suffering, let people come around who can at least try to help and, 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 and try to come and bring some comfort to us. So that took us to uh, the end of chapter 37. So then God breaks in, God speaks. We're not going to go into that either um, because God really doesn't answer Job's questions. Um, he answers them in, in a very different way, a way that Job didn't expect. Um, and so in, in the last chapter, uh, Job chapter 42, um, really what, what we see here is, is the, the conclusion of Job's story. This is, this is all we know then of, of, of what happened to Job. Uh, but what we see here, in the conclusion, is that Job sees God as he never saw him before. Job 42, verse 5, My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Even as close as Job was to the Lord before, Job had made that commitment. His relationship with God was, was real. We saw that in the first two chapters. He, he wasn't, he wasn't going to let tragedy um, determine his response to, to God and, 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 and let tragedy come between him and the Lord. 
But even he says that, look, compared to how I see you now and my relationship with you now that I have now, man, before I had just heard about you, I, 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 you, you were distant to me before, but now I see you. My eyes are opened in a new, I see you in a new way. And there's just, there's something about, and this is a mystery that we, we probably won't understand until we get to heaven, but there's just something about hardship difficulty, suffering, loss, all of these, these difficulties in life and these difficult situations that we find ourselves in that, that has a way of, of just breaking through and, 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 and deepening our relationship with the Lord and making that faith real and that relationship just deeper and richer than it was before. There's something about difficulty that does that, that breaks in in a way where God can't just in the normal course of life. And to some extent, this, this may, in, in some small ways, I think, explain some of why God allowed this, because he knew at the end that, that there would be a richness and in, in a, in a deeper relationship for Job that would come out of this. Job 42.10 uh, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. It's almost like the Lord says, and by the way, you know, he gave him twice as much as he had before too. But, but the first part, the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. You know, there's something about praying for others that brings freedom to us as well, even in the midst of, of, of difficulties. There's just, there's something about praying for others that, that brings freedom in our lives too. So there, there's a real truth in that. And so what we also see here is that there's a, there's a double blessing. Um, God, God gives Job twice as much as he had before. But if you do a careful reading of, of the first chapter of what Job has, where, where it enumerates he had 5,000 donkeys and 7,500 camels, and, and, you, and you compare it to what he has in the end and enumerates them again, he has 10,000 donkeys and 15,000 camels. And, you know, so he he's literally has double all of his livestock, but he has 10 children. Why didn't he get double? He had 10 before. You should have 20, right? He didn't get double. But what, again, what I think we're seeing here is we're seeing God point to this his, his upper story. And he's reminding Job that this lower story isn't, isn't the entire picture. I think he's, he's also reminding Job that those 10 children, I heard your prayer, Job. They're with me. Those 10 children, they're with me. And so someday you will be together with your 20 children again, double what you had before. And, and so we see this lower story and the upper story in the beginning of Job. And at the closing of Job here, this last chapter too, we see God pointing to, and, and again, reminding Job of the upper story, that there is more than just what's going on here in this lower story and, and the chaos that sometimes engulfs our lower story. So what are some of the lessons that, that, that we can apply uh, ourselves from Job? Um, I think the first one is that we, we see that worshiping God is always appropriate in all of our circumstances, all of our difficulties, and, and it, not just in the times of blessing. Worshiping God is appropriate in all of life's circumstances. 
We see that God is in control despite all the lower story chaos. There's such a contrast between what's happening in heaven and what's happening down here. God's plan is not deterred by any of the lower story chaos that's happening in our lives and seems to engulf our lives at times. Commitment despite circumstances. Job was committed to God despite his circumstances, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And our challenge, I think, is to do the same thing and, and to, to show that same commitment to God despite our circumstances as well. We also saw throughout much of the book of Job that God was, God was silent, but he was not absent. Because when he does break in and when he does speak in chapter 38, He's been paying attention to everything that's been happening. He makes that clear. He makes that real. And he makes that known to Job and Job's friends. He makes it known. that He's, he's heard all of it. He's paid attention to every little bit of it. He was there the whole time. His silence doesn't mean he's not there and not paying attention. We also see that Job's difficulties, they lasted for a season. It wasn't the rest of Job's life. It wasn't Job's entire life. And there's hope in that too for us too, that our our difficulties, our lower story chaos, if you're in the midst of something that you're just finding really difficult, it's not going to last forever. There's hope in that, right? There, Job's difficulties only lasted for a season, and ours do too. Because God's, it is, it is, it is, it, it, and this is a reminder of kind of the Advent season that we just came out of too. Uh, we We saw where heaven's disposition towards us was peace and goodwill, right? And that's, that's God's disposition towards us too. That's the Lord's disposition towards us, his peace and goodness. It's going to follow us. It's going to overtake us. So these difficulties don't last forever. In difficulty, we, we see God in fresh ways that just through the normal course of life, for some reason, we, we, we can't. And God has, has a hard time in breaking through in normal course of life. But there's a channel that's opened up in the difficult seasons of our life where God just becomes fresh to us in, in real, meaningful, and deeper ways. And God's ways are higher than our ways. You know, explaining the book of Job is, 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 is difficult. Um, scholars have tried for centuries to explain um, why did this happen to Job um, when, because he didn't deserve it. And, and we still don't have an answer. I don't know that we ever will until we get to heaven. God's ways are higher. And finally, the upper story is the real story. The upper story is the real story. Um, and, and, and so focusing on the upper story, focusing on, on God and, and refocusing and ensuring that we, in, even in the midst of our circumstances, are looking at things from a heavenly and an eternal perspective and not just, just getting bogged down in this lower story as Job and his friends did for so much of the book of Job and just, just kind of going in circles. Let's focus our eyes and our attention on that upper story. So, um, so, so I hope this has been, this has been helpful. Um, as, as we've looked at, uh, as we've looked at Job, um, I, I know it's a difficult subject. It's, it's not, uh, it's not something that's, that's easy to talk about and, um, easy to, uh, to absorb either. Um, because, you know, we, we, we like to talk about blessing. We like to talk about, you know, all these good things, but, uh, the reality is, Hard, hard, hardship does, um, does come upon all of us and we, we all go through difficult circumstances. And, uh, so hopefully some of these lessons from Job, we can apply these as we, uh, as we go through these difficult seasons in life.